This is the Comp Effect Podcast. When you focus on workers' compensation, you'll have a safer work environment, more productive staff, lower expenses, and you'll crush your competition. We're sharing real-world stories, actionable tips, business-friendly advice, and information to help your business. I'm your host, Todd Tams. Enjoy the show. Good good day, everybody. Welcome back to the Comp Effect Podcast. We are going to blow your mind today with the guest that we have on for you. Uh, Sam King is the Vice President of Fraud Investigations at Employers, which is a national workers' compensation company. And I had the pleasure to speak with Sam here a few months ago and learn a little bit more about fraud. And oh, I mean, this guy's probably forgotten more than I even know when it comes to workers' compensation fraud. And so without any further delay, we're going to get into this today and talk about all things workers' compensation fraud and help educate businesses and insurance agents. And Sam, do thanks for taking time today. I appreciate it. No worries. Uh, I look forward to the discussion and, and uh, look forward to getting this information out to your team, your, your folks that are uh, listening to the podcast. Absolutely. So um, as part of the normal routine, when I... Uh, when I bring somebody on, I do a little research on their background. I checked out LinkedIn. I searched for them on Google and your name is everywhere. Um, I think I first came across you in a business insurance magazine. I've seen you publish in rough notes. Um, I find information that you have uh, helped co-author on the department of California's fraud website. Um, Can you just, I mean, you've been everywhere, man. Can you give us a little bit of your background and history? Yeah, no worries. Um, I actually started out in law enforcement in California and Los Angeles area. And uh, I was a law enfor- in law enforcement for 10 years. Um, I actually got into insurance as a, a general agent um, working for uh, another uh, under a general agent and then uh, got my, uh, my insurance licensing in California, started selling insurance. I wasn't selling commercial insurance. It was all personal lines. Um, and, uh, it was a real up and down swing. It was a cop buddy of mine, uh, and myself, uh, did great the first year. And then the second year we kind of, uh, um, didn't really do wise with our business. So we, we, uh, I, he got back in the place where, uh, my wife, uh, basically said, Hey, we have, we have kids. You're a nicer person. Why don't you do something else? And so I ended up bouncing back into, uh, the insurance industry. Um, I went to work for Travelers Insurance, actually, and, and I was uh, uh, ended up being the director of their the Western United States for their SIU program, their Special Investigative Unit program. Uh, so I had about 13 states that I handled and uh, loved it, enjoyed it, and, uh, and then I, uh, I went from there to uh, a Liberty Mutual company called Golden Eagle Insurance Corporation out of, Gold, out of San Diego. Um, and uh, was the director of their special investigation unit. And they were they were very writing a lot of workers' comp business and, and other lines of business in California at the time. They were a pretty big player. Um, and then I, I had a stint uh, with some uh, outsourced investigation firms, uh, two of the largest uh, outsourced investigation firms. Um, uh, I left Liberty Mutual. Actually, uh, the Liberty Mutual company I was with, I got the chairman's award at Liberty Mutual for our special investigative unit efforts. Um, and which was a, a huge honor, uh, really for my team, uh, cause we had an awesome team that, uh, that worked to me there. 
but then I went to a national uh, private investigation firm that did outsourced uh, insurance and special investigative unit work for um, the industry, the insurance industry, and uh, ran, uh, basically was uh, an executive uh, running the Western United States, uh, you know, in their programs uh, in about 13 Western states. And then the one I was doing nationally, running their whole national program. So, so what do you, what do you win the chairman's award for? Um, it was, uh, the, we were recognized as having the most aggressive uh, SIU program uh, in, out of all the, the commercial line insurance business. And it was, uh, we, we, it would, can't, they were really looking at stats. We had, uh, in a one year, um, we, you know, over 56 criminal arrests um, that, we, that we were responsible for uh, in insurance fraud. Uh, which is a big deal. I mean, to get a criminal arrest is a lot of effort that goes into that. And mm-hmm. to be actually, not just charged, but they're arrested and they're convicted. That's a huge thing. So um, we had that. Uh, we had, uh, but we had, a, we had a, a history of about a seven year history of, of that type of activity. Uh, and it, it just got bigger every year. It was, it was, uh, uh, we were getting better and better at what we did uh, on an annual basis. And, and, uh, so it was that recognition and, and, and Mother Liberty at the time, uh, we were a small uh, company compared to Mother Liberty. Uh, they had like uh, six arrests and we had like 56. So it was, it was kind of a, you know, I think that those numbers kind of like, wait a minute, what's this little company doing and what, what's going on here? So it was one of those uh, balancing acts of, you know, they, they just rec- we tilted, tilted things to where they said, hey, we had a look at this company. And, and uh, ultimately uh, I was leading that program. So I got the chairman's award. We had um, we had a fraud investigation uh, family business on here a few months ago. They're out of Minnesota, and uh, this guy Don Don he'd been doing fraud investigation for I mean, since the '80s, and he just talked about how I mean how they used to have the van with the big camera in it, and I mean it's just it's changed to mobile phones and maybe somebody tailing somebody or unmarked cars, and it was right. kind of fascinating to hear what uh, his company had done. Well, the cameras have gotten smaller, much smaller. Um, you know, we used to have, you know, pinhole cameras, things like that, but uh, they were only used if you were, you know, following somebody inside like a grocery store or something. But now the cameras are, are so small that, uh, you know, commercial cameras are small. So you can do the same thing with the, that we used to have these big old cameras look like a, actually it looked like somebody's following somebody like a television crew was following somebody, you know, and, and yeah. got away from that. It's, you know, the cameras are very small now. Um, they're very, uh, it's all digital versus analog, which is a whole different world. And uh, so there's, uh, um, you know, it's, I, I kind of related to, you know, solar panels now for houses are getting smaller and smaller. It's kind of like, that's, that's what happened with the cameras. They happen really fast. So yeah. that's a good thing for us. So the first time that we talked, and I think this was, this is probably one of the most enlightening things for me. Uh, as an insurance agent that's been in the business, most times when we talk about fraud, it's because I get a call from one of our clients that say, I know that the claim that we just got on Billy is fraud. I know he's working on the side. I, you know, I don't believe that we should pay for it. And the reality is once there's a work comp claim, they get into the system, right? I mean, the employer's hands are tied somewhat. Oh yeah. That's, and it's, it's problematic for the employer. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, obviously if, if, uh, if you're a, 
if you're an employer and you have a claim filed against your company, uh, and there's there's doubt, there's there's uh, there's suspicion in regard to it wasn't reported, you know, uh, you know, or it wasn't reported timely, uh, or there was no witness, that kind of thing. Um, those all play into you know the possibility of uh, you know possible fraudulent claim. Those are red flags, things we look at. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's fraud. But it means it means to be looked at. So. Um, I, those are, those are valid complaints, valid issues. Um, you know, I think about the, you know, if a, an accident occurs in the Monday morning, the Monday morning accidents, you know, they go right to work and, um, workers cop, you know, they, they are injured over the weekend and they go to work and they say they were injured on a Monday morning. Um, and so we've had those, we've had, uh, you know, I, I really think one of the big areas that as an employer, you need to watch out for is. Uh, I believe this, that people don't usually leave a company. Um, they leave their, their, their direct boss. So if you have issues, if your direct boss is, is not, um, you know, is not a good manager of people, that kind of thing, you're, you may have issues, you may have problems, you may have retaliation claims that surface. Um, and that's a, that's real problematic. So I, I think one of the things you can do as an employer is make sure you have good people that are, that are good managers and they're, they're treating people right. And, and, uh, you know, so you don't have those retaliation issues, uh, because, uh, you know, rarely people, uh, retaliate with a claim unless they're really upset at their direct boss. It's usually a big, big problem right there. We actually just had a, a guy from the Institute on Kevin ring. And one of the things that he recommends is uh, on the final day or on the separation, you actually file a piece of paper that says, Hey, I don't have any workers compensation claims that I'm going to report later on down the road, just as kind of a safety net for exactly what you're talking about right there. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think anything you can do to, uh, you know, obviously that would attack the credibility of someone coming forward down the road with a workers compensation claim. You know, I think that's the, uh, you know, and that's that, that depending on the venue, that, that can be very, uh, you know, that can be helpful. Um, you know, some states are more liberal than others. So it depends on the state you're in and the, and the roles you're, you're dealing with. Um, and uh, I happen to be in a very liberal state. So I, I look at the liberal piece of that. Uh, California is not really a very conservative state when it comes to workers comp and benefits and we have some uh, silly rules that uh, well, I'm going to call them silly because I think they are, but silly rules that, that really uh, hinder uh, employers oftentimes with, you know, and, and cause increases in, in costs for workers' comp uh, benefits. Well, I think I learned the other day what LA County is the highest rate County in the country. Yeah. Yeah. It's, workers it's, compensation rates. It's yeah, it is the highest. And, and there's, there's a long history of why it's the highest. It's uh a lot of organized crime, a lot of provider fraud. Uh, the biggest area of fraud in the work comp system out here in California, and I, I think probably if you, if you dig down, it's going to be many states, is going to be the provider fraud area where you're, you're talking about doctors, attorneys, chiropractors, interpreters, anybody billing a file. Um, and it's one of the reasons we have so many problems in California is the rules. Um, we have a lean process where, um, you know, a, if you are a doctor or a provider of a service on a workers' comp claim, you can file a lien with the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board and collect money directly. You don't have to go through the claimant or through the claimant's claim in any way. 
you can just go right to the board and collect money. And that's, um, uh, there's a process for it. Um, and, um, and it's, it, it opens itself to all kinds of fraud. And we've had this, this, uh, lean, um, system in California for, you know, many years, it's been over 30 years. So it's, okay. it's, so, it's, so walk uh, me through that again, cause this is new information to me. So you're yeah. saying if you have a claimant who has a claim that goes to a medical provider, so it goes to a medical provider. Now, um, what I'm what I'm actually talking about is if uh, in California, if, um, if it's an accepted claim, we we usually can control the the rules. Say we control the claim for up to a year as far as the medical who they go to medically. But if it's a denied claim, uh, they get an attorney um, and they they dispute that denial, and then they start sending them that applicant attorney can send them to whoever they they want as far as medical providers. And that's where we have the problem because um, if it's our if it's our provider that we're sending someone to, we have uh, we have contracted rates, we have a medical fee schedule that's all adhered to in regard to what they can charge for certain procedures. If it's a disputed uh, case, then all of that is thrown out the door. And so these doctors and providers they bill whatever they want, and oftentimes they will bill you know ten times the amount of what should be billed uh, in regard to the, the, the fee schedule because they don't have to abide by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they'll, they'll try to collect on that, on their lien. If they collect 10% of that, they're collecting the entire bill of what would be paid to someone that was in our, in our system. So it, it's a, um, uh, the process is a little bit, is open to a lot of flaws in, in regard to, uh, you know, uh, the balances in the system and, you know, the good thing is we did have, uh, because of the problems we've had in the past with provider fraud, and um, we, the prosecutors that were going after providers in California, um, they got fed up with the fact that they would try to prosecute someone criminally for criminal fraud, usually a, a billing fraud type situation, um, like billing for services that were never rendered, that type of thing. Um, and then... Um, because of this lien problem, um, these fraudulent doctors would actually go out and they would collect heavily. They would put all this money into collecting money so they could finance their criminal defense. And that became problematic because, um, you know, they were hired the best attorneys and, you know, now they're, they're, they're really, uh, they have a lot of money to, to do things with from a criminal defense standpoint. And a lot of people were getting off because they just, you know, they, they were able to finance, um, the right people to, to handle their cases and getting off on technicalities, that kind of thing. So what happened is uh, uh, the prosecutors in California basically said, look, we got to do something different. And they actually started this. They said that uh, uh, there was a bill, two bills passed in, uh, in 2017, Jan- well, in 2016, 2017, in January, 2017, it became law. One is, it says that if you are charged with insurance fraud, it's in the labor code in California. If you are charged with insurance fraud, healthcare fraud, or Medicare fraud, um, then you can be, uh, and at the moment you're charged, then all of your liens can be immediately blocked and stayed. Uh, in other words, we don't have to pay any lien at the point you're charged with insurance fraud. Uh, that's one of the new rules. Um, I say new. Four years now, but uh, 
So when uh, you mean charged, I mean, that's not an affirmation of guilt. It's just being allegedly charged with fraud. Right. You're, you're charged by a prosecutor or indicted, um, either indicted or charged. If you're indicted, charged, charge is usually, you, that term is used when someone is criminally charged by a, uh, uh, a, a district attorney's office or something, um, or a prosecutor. It could be state prosecutor or attorney general. But, uh, and then there could be a grand jury indictment where you're indicted. It's the same thing. That is a charge. So if you're charged with insurance fraud or healthcare fraud or any kind of uh, uh, Medicare fraud, then we can immediately block any monies that could be owed to you under this new law. And there is a due process. You're, you're probably thinking, well, is there a due process, you know, for that, you know, illegally, you know, what's going on? There is a due process through the Department of Industrial Relations in California. And what they do is they are the, uh, uh, the due process is that they have to uh, be afforded a hearing if, you know, once they're convicted or if they are not convicted, then they're afforded a hearing and those liens are all basically dealt with at that time. So that money doesn't go away. They have an opportunity to collect. Um, but if it's, if they are convicted, um, they can be removed from ever participating in the work comp system in California uh, again. So that it's pretty, uh, some pretty stiff penalties now mm -hmm. that we have before. Um, before we would have to pay these liens and settle them in order to close the claim file. We don't have to do that anymore. Um, there's, a, there's a whole different different world now since we've had this these rules um, for the last four years. So it, it's a uh, it's a good thing. Um, you know, we still have the fraud. We still have the problems. I, I haven't seen the fraud go away. Um, I I I, uh, I I I basically describe fraud as that. Uh, um, whack-a-mole, you know, uh, game, you know, you, 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 you go to, you go to, you go to the place where they have a whack-a-mole game and you hit, you hit the, 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 the mushroom or the clown and it comes up and then all of a sudden yeah. three or four more come up, you know, and that's kind of the way we've seen as soon as you, you, you're aggressive with fraud in one area and you go after something, um, we've seen, um, big major, uh, you know, doctor's offices and, and medical facilities that were, you know, the whole facility was fraudulent. Um, and, uh, you know, the main player goes down for insurance fraud, you know, the owner and all of a sudden, um, you know, five doctors that work for this person set up their own independent thing and they've already learned how to commit fraud. So now they do their own thing, you know, and, and we have that kind of stuff happening all the time. It's, it's not just, uh, um, a, a the, pr the practice yeah. or like in that case, the doctor's office, do you think that it's one bad seed in there? Or they're all bad seeds. Cause that blows no. my mind that, that there would be an entire practice of doctors out there of that are intentionally trying to be fraudulent no. and violate the law. Well, I, I think there's, there's, there's a ton of money. Here. That's the problem. We're talking about millions of dollars. Um, and, and there's different schemes that are, that go on. Um, you know, one of, one of the schemes we've dealt with for years and it still goes, goes on is, uh, you know, um, a worker's compensation injured worker goes, you know, it could be a disputed claim. They go to, uh, they get an attorney and then they, they go to a doctor and they have them sign a sign-in sheet and they'll have them, you know, sign their name, you know, 13, 14, 15 times in different spots on sign-in sheets. Well, that's just so they can, they can bill for services never rendered. They have their name signed and they'll put it in the dates later. And um, those people don't even come for treatment, but they're billing and sending a report like as though they did. 
So there's a lot of that issue still going on. There's uh, one of the biggest things we've been dealing with the last the several last several years uh, has been going on for many years is uh, kickbacks for referrals, where a doctor treating doctor um, may send somebody out to uh, for one we had was called a it was a shockwave treatment. The shockwave treatment was you know somebody had an injured back or shoulder or any kind of muscle part. They would send this shockwave treatment, and to be honest, the shockwave treatment it was kind of like a superpower tens unit, if you will. And it would shock that area of their body, you know, that muscle area, and it's supposed to do all this stuff. But it wasn't. There was no fee schedule on this this tool they were using, right? Uh huh. So they could charge whatever they wanted, and, and typically they would charge about sixteen hundred dollars for that treatment, maybe thirty two hundred, depending on, you know, how how they felt that day, and so. Every time he sent someone for these shockwave treatments, then this particular chiropractor, actually the chiropractor, would get a, uh, a kickback, you know, uh, from that company. And it wasn't directly to his chiropractic facility, you know, because that would be too easy to connect when you're following the money. But they actually set up two separate companies um, and the shockwave company would would would. Uh, from their separate company, they would actually uh, send money to his separate company that he had, not in a chiropractic name, but some other name, and uh, and then funnel money back to him that way. So it's uh, it gets very sophisticated in in how these schemes are set up, but it's totally illegal. You can't uh, you cannot uh, you know refer somebody and get a kickback or some kind of uh, consideration or money for doing so. And that's what was happening. Yeah. So I think the interesting, one of the things that I found that was most interesting the first time that we talked was how I think you kind of said that the fraud in this country has switched. It used to be that it was employee fraud, maybe claiming, you know, fake injuries to receive indemnity payments. And then at some point it switched over and now that's not the case. It's really the provider, the provider type fraud. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I, I, from my perspective and uh, you know, it really depends on where you sit and where you are <laughs> in regard to what state and what's going on. Uh, from my perspective, I do, I do sit in California. So, so there's a California edge to what I, what I do, but um, what I'm seeing is that uh, what I was relating to is that, that there's three types of fraud, if you will, in workers comp and, and categories. Um, one is uh, claimant fraud, um, and, you know, that that's where an injured worker that they're they're some part of their claim is fraudulent. And it could be any part of their claim. It could be, um, you know, they, they were injured at home and then they go to work on a Monday morning and claim an injury. And we find that out. Um, or it could be, uh, you know, they malinger their claim. You know, we do surveillance, undercover filming, and we find out that they're, you know, they're moving their entire house and lifting and doing all the things they're telling a doctor they cannot do. Um, and we're able they lie about it. And, and so we end up with a fraud case. Um, so claimant fraud is a big area. It used to be the, one of the biggest areas. I, I think if one of the things that, uh, if you look 10, 20 years ago in the work comp system, I mean, I think every, uh, podcast, if you were, there was podcast now, right. They were doing, <laughs> podcasts, right? um, but every, every, uh, you know, uh, 60 minutes, you know, 2020, all, all these different big national uh, news medias, they would always show someone, you know, you undercover filming going on where 
somebody's doing something that they should they claim they can't do yeah that was kind of the big you know the big deal um we don't see do a whole lot of that we still have yeah 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 he's got a neck brace on takes it off yeah 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 typically or, or he's got the cane and he's walking you know with the cane to the doctor's office and as soon as he leaves he throws a cane in the truck and he's playing basketball or something you know yeah, like, yeah. um but so climate fraud has always been there but it but the area that has come up and we've been able to really do something about uh, um we've had there's tons of providers that have been arrested uh and charged and convicted um over the last several 20 years uh for the first time it seems like we finally got a lot of these big players and and you know it's still happening but uh we've created uh, a process that is working more well uh, in my state and I, in other states is, they're doing this as well. There's, it's, it's not just my state, but um, what what's happened though is provider fraud has become probably that's, that's the other category of fraud. There's claimant fraud, there's provider fraud, and there's, there's what I call print or premium fraud are the typical categories and pre, uh, claimant or provider fraud is usually dealing with billing uh, for services not rendered or you're billing for a procedure that uh, should have a much lower billing procedure. There's a lot of money to be made in that. Um, um, so you're saying instead of like, if there's a fee schedule for tier one, two, and three, three being the most expensive, one not being the most expensive. And most people don't understand what happens at the doctor's office and the different level of fee schedules. They'll go in and the physician will do a tier three and collect excess money when it was really a tier one visit. Exactly. And, and you know, even... You know, I think about if you have healthcare insurance and you're billed for services, um, one of the requirements with healthcare, it's federally regulated and stuff like that, um, is they give you a, an explanation of benefit. Okay, so you get an explanation of benefits that were provided. So you can kind of inspect as a patient and see, well, was this provided? <laughs> Did they do this, this service? In workers' comp, you don't get that. You don't get an explanation of benefit. There's no mandate to, to give the client, the, the injured worker any kind of benefit. So there... So there's a lot of fraud that can go on um, that may not be tipped off because, you know, you don't have the, the claimant say, hey, I didn't get an x-ray or I didn't get an MRI or, you know, whatever it might be. So those are those are uh, areas of provider fraud that occur quite often. Um, but, yeah, the, the three tiered, one of the big areas is uh, and it's kind of a national, you know, we, we go by AMA guidelines for California. Most states use the AMA guidelines um, is we have a comp. Uh, uh, a comprehensive medical evaluation is a 99205. Um, if you're going to get a comprehensive medical evaluation, that basically is a lot of rules that go along with a comprehensive medical evaluation, but you have to, it's going to be the highest billed medical evaluation. If you get a uh, 99201, that's a, that's a, that's a medical evaluation, but that's the least bill, billable medical evaluation. So people, you know, typically what we see is uh, providers will bill in the, They'll bill a 99203 or a 99204, which is a higher. It's not the highest because the highest they, they they understand it's going to be inspected more. Uh, so they'll bill right under the highest, and uh, you know those are areas that uh, are open to all kinds of fraud because if you start inspecting that, you find out that they didn't provide those services that are required to be provided uh, to bill that service. So provider fraud is that's another area of provider fraud. You know that happens all the time that is provide they're providing the wrong a different class of service um and then premium fraud is our other category and that can be involved in um you know basically 
uh, any employer not paying their proper rate for workers' compensation insurance. And, and that um, and, and can deal with, you know, um, an employer not reporting their payroll uh, that they have and paying cash wages or um, that type of thing, or, or, they're, or they're misclassifying an employee. They're saying, a, uh, they're saying he's a janitor when in fact he's a roof tear-off worker, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So it, it's really a, a gross abuse type of situations. But um, so fraud hurts everybody. Uh, I mean, and ultimately it really hurts the businesses who end up paying for it in terms of what they pay for rates. What, uh, what do you think the percentage of fraud is like, is there a number that you can say out of a, let's just say a hundred claims, we think this many number of claims is fraudulent as representative of the industry. Well, I think the numbers that are, that are used quite often, um, is that, 10% 10% of all claims have an element of fraud of some sort. Okay. And, uh, and that, that's kind of a national number that's been used. Uh, the FBI has done some studies. The uh, uh, Insurance uh, uh, Institute has done some studies. There, there's yep. been several uh, studies that have been done. And typically what they'll do is they'll, they'll do studies with asking the insurance industry. And, you know, people that run special investigative units like myself, uh, asking us, um, you know, what do we, you know, doing or doing surveys and what do we, you know, what do we see as, as you know, the percentage of fraud that we're seeing. Um, of the 10% that may have elements of fraud, I think you're probably looking at maybe uh, you know, less than 2%. You know, I kind of, it's almost kind of like, uh, you know, as I've looked at this over the years, it, it, you know, you think about uh, credit card fraud with banking, okay. Um, you know, banks put in about a 2% factor for fraud whenever they calculate their, their prop, prop, you know, their, their, uh, their earning sheets and their spreadsheets on, on, you know, how, you know, how much money they need to make, you know, to, to be successful, they have to put about a 2% factor that's going to go into fraud. Uh, And that goes with, you know, you have a credit card uh, and somebody else gets your credit card number, they start charging on it. Uh, they report it, and all of a sudden, you know, you can't find that uh, that two percent goes away. They can't find that person, you know. Um, uh, but they they dismiss it from your from your bank account, right? They, you know, you get that money back because hey, that was fraudulent. You signed some paperwork, you get it back. Well, I, I think we're probably in that two percent category of, of real fraud that we can get our hands on. It may and it may be higher, uh, but it's uh, that's the amount I see uh, that we're able to prosecute, get you know, really go after. Uh, uh, strategically and, and get the evidence needed to pursue fraud. Okay. So that's interesting. And one of the things that I picked up on that you just said is the elements of fraud. What do you mean when you talk about that? Like, what are the elements of fraud? I, I like to use, uh, I use, I use the term uh, milk and, and I hope we don't have anybody that's in the dairy business because they might get mad at me, but um, it's just an acronym milk. Um, Fraud is nothing more than a lie. Okay, so if you have a, uh, if in order to basically fraud, fraud is the lie. The lie is the fraud. Um, if you have a case where you, you might see a uh, somebody arrested for you know twenty nine counts of insurance fraud or forty three counts of insurance fraud, all that means is that they had lied forty three times. Okay, each count is a separate fraud. And okay, a lie three times. So the lie is the fraud. The fraud is the lie. Okay. Well. Well, the, the elements you need to prove fraud, and I go back to uh, my police days, you know, 
Um, I use the, you know, every, every crime has an element. A lot of people think they've been uh, burglarized. You know, they, they, they describe that they've been burglarized when they actually were robbed, you know, or they were robbed when they were burglarized. They say, oh, I was robbed, you know, and, and they were burglarized. And there's different elements. So burglary is uh, entering into a dwelling with the intent to commit a felonious act. So it's, it, you know, you would talk about breaking and entering. It's, a, it's, it's breaking into a house and you, you take something and you know, those are all burglary or, or a window smash on a, on a vehicle. Those are the elements for burglary. Um, so entering into a dwelling, the inside of a vehicle is considered a dwelling for burglars sake, for the code's sake, but uh, with the intent to commit a felony sack, the intent to use the pry marks of the window smash or the, the, the tools used to, to take the stereo out of the car. Okay. Um, and that's robbery. not robbery. I guess I get confused here. Yeah, uh, go. We're going to, yeah, I don't yeah. want to get involved in that. Yeah. A robbery, robbery is uh, the use of force or fear in committing a felonious act. So I have a, I have a, I show you my gun. Okay. Well, that produces force and fear, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the use of force and fear. So it's like, Produces fear, uh, or I, I give you a note at a bank and I say I have a gun. If you don't give me all your money, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot you. You know, and I don't show the gun. You know, but it shows. You know, or I run down the street and I, I pull uh, a woman's purse from her being and I I pull it away from her and run away. That that's force, right? So use the force or fear in committing that felonious act. A lot of people get those mixed up. Okay, so uh, but they. They both have different elements. Uh, that's the idea. And, and every crime has an element. Insurance fraud, the elements I use, I use the acronym MILK, is it's MILK with a big L. The L is a lie. You gotta have a lie. Okay. Now the lie has to be M is it has to be material to the claim. So if I say I have a uh, um, 900 year old grandmother in a deposition, uh, that may that may be a lie because I don't know anybody 900 years old, but it, it's probably not material to my claim. Okay, so it's got to be a material claim, uh, whatever I'm lying about. And then the lie has to be, the second element is, is I, intentionally made. And intent can be proven by the fact that they would have gotten more money, they would have gotten more benefits had the lie been successful. Uh, if the lie is successful, they would have got more money or more benefits. So typically that's enough to prove intent. Uh, and then the K is knowledge. And, and uh, so it's, it's uh, materiality, intent. Uh, the lie is the L, lie or misrepresentation is the mm -hmm. term oftentimes. And then K is knowledge. Knowledge is almost like, a, you know, I have grandchildren. Um, and uh, when my kids are actually growing up, you know, I would tell my son, you know, one of my, one of my sons, I'd tell him, hey, you know, don't ever do that again. Don't say that word or whatever that word he was saying. Don't say that word again. And, and the next time, you know, I, I knew now I, now I had to put him in timeout or I had to discipline him because now I knew um, he knows that he, what he said was wrong the second time, right? So he, we educated, I educated him along the way. Well, in workers' comp, we, in fraud, we, we actually have a lot of uh, fraud warnings that we put on. You probably see them on uh, agency documents, on anything submitted to the insurance company, underwriting documents, um, applications there's a lot of fraud warnings and it says it's, you know, it's insurance fraud to, mm -hmm. uh, to lie or misrepresent your claim or to lie about, you know, your, your, uh, you know, class codes or whatever it might be. Um, so there's a lot of documentation and that's how we show that they had knowledge. Uh, they were educated during the processing of the claim or the, or the application or, uh, or even, even the, uh, 
uh, on the on the actual form sent in for for providers on the billing. You know, they're they're educated on that. You know, so um, those are the those are the areas we they have to we have to show that they had not what they did was wrong and they they knew it was wrong. They were they were sophisticated enough to know it was wrong. So typically, even on a claim form for a uh, um, an injured worker, you'll see in you know in many states you'll see in English and Spanish. You know, you'll see, uh, you know, the, the actual language of what insurance fraud is. Um, and that's part of the, the requirements in a lot of states. And that's part of that, that knowledge. So if you got milk, if you have the, all, you can prove all four elements of milk, you can prove fraud. And that I'm talking about criminal fraud for insurance fraud. That's, that's, and, and actually that is uh, not just related to workers' comp. It's any type of insurance fraud that you're dealing with. Those are the elements you have to prove. All right. It's interesting. I thought of you or I was all excited to talk to you. Um, just last week in Iowa, there was, um, what was this guy? I think he was a chiropractor and he kept presenting false information and identity theft. And he was basically using other insurance providers, identification numbers for two other chiropractors to submit fraudulent patient treatment. Right, right. So his and two other ones, same patient, fraudulent treatment. And when we talk about, you know, is is insurance fraud a victimless crime? No, it's not. This guy looks like he's going to jail, had a $20,000 bail bond, and um, it, it's a criminal charge. Well, you know, and that, that's that's what you're talking about. It's, it's uh, when you talk about insurance fraud, um, other than uh, the, the stat studies, the FBI studies, uh, other than... Uh, um, you know, tax fraud, uh, insurance fraud is the biggest type of fraud there is in the United States. Um, so tax fraud is number one. Um, and I'm talking about tax fraud, the ones you can't, they can't prove to not yep. just the ones they prove, um, but the ones they suspect that's the biggest and insurance fraud is right there. It's right. It's number two. So it's a huge problem. And, uh, and, and that situation you were talking about in Iowa, you know, that's all that is, is somebody that knows the system. They know how to get the document. They know what documents to send to the insurance company. And they're, they're, they're not even, you know, using their own name. And I would suspect that that situation, um, the person wasn't like that. They weren't licensed to do the procedures. They knew the system. They probably had a, a you know, what I found is in the past is we had a, a mailbox that was just a, uh, a mail, mail location only for their billing. You know, and they're using all this person's name and they're just using a different location for the bills so that when the checks come in, they can cash them. And uh, that's oftentimes the case. Uh, we've gone and inspect, inspected uh, what we thought was going to be a medical clinic and, uh, you know, getting tons of bills from a place. And we find out that it's an empty, empty little bitty office that's being rented. And there's nothing but uh, <laughs> but envelopes with money and checks being, you know, going into that office. So, um that, that's very common, um, and that's one of the schemes that goes on with people that know the system. So let's let me ask you. I, we'll start with the the insurance company um, tracking down fraud. Let's start. Let's say employers insurance is trying to track down fraud um, at the provider level, and I'm guessing that's extremely. I think from my end, I think that would be extremely difficult because most insurance companies aren't exactly sharing data on claimants and providers. So you kind of got to do your own work. Exactly. Um, and that's well, the gaming of the system, right? If I'm a provider and I have a claim with ABC company, I have a claim with employers, 
I mean, I can probably game the system for a very long time before I'm caught. So oh, how, yeah. so what are we looking for here? Or what do you, I mean, what do you do? What are you doing as a company to help reduce provider fraud? Well, provider fraud is a major, major problem. And one of the things you've got to start doing is looking, you know, as, as an insurance company or as a uh, individual, you have to look outside the box. So typically what, uh, and what I mean by that is you've got to look at things that traditionally, you know, were, are different than how we used to process claims, you know, and things we looked at before. Um, and one of the things that we've employed is um, we built a data analytics uh, I want to call it a, we call it a Kila, but it's a, uh, a data analytics tool that is uh, a Kila mean, in Latin means uh, it's like the eye of the eagle. So that's, but basically we're looking for, you know, things that are, are not normal, um, but are typically red flags for provider fraud, if you will. So we, we put all of our data for providers on the billing. Uh, it's all related to, uh, you know, Typically, when you deal with provider fraud, it's going to be related to billing. They're, they're, they're billing for services not rendered. They're billing for, um, you know, procedures that didn't occur. They're bill they're upcoding. They don't exist. They're using somebody else's name like the Iowa case. They're, you know, they're not really a doctor and they're claiming to be a doctor. They're, they're using, you know, so all these things occur. So we look at as we look at, you know, what makes sense. And so we look at red flags. We, we, so we built the tool. Um, that we can look at all our data. Uh, one of the things we do is, you know, one of, one of the key things that have, comes up is if you're, in a, if you're in a city, there's no reason that you would be driving one way 75 miles to a uh, medical doctor for treatment, you know, for your, to your primary doctor, right? I mean, that makes no sense. That's, that's 150 miles round trip. Um, what we found is, you know, we, we have a tool that we, we can look at the, uh, the billing, you know, the, the, service location where the service occurred um, and we can look at you know where the where the claimant lives or where they work if they're still working and we we have a mapping tool a simple mapping tool that looks at at the, the mileage and, it, and everything over 75 miles pops up it's like wait a minute there we gotta look at that claim we gotta look at those you know see what's going on with that because that makes no sense um they, we look at things you know that's a simple <laughs> you know Kind of a red You've got machine learning that's looking at these things on every single claim, right? Exactly. exactly. And then you can aggregate that data to yeah, really kind of drill down. And we look at, and we look at, you know, uh, you know, one of, one of the things is uh, what if, what if the, uh, you know, we look at every, if somebody is billing us for an MRI and it's not a hospitalization, very unusual that you would have an MRI done unless somebody was hospitalized at some point. Okay. Um, so we look at any claim where we get an MRI and there's no hospitalization, um, we start looking at that. Or, or, or maybe the, uh, the MRI is, is, is like one of the first medical bills we get, you know, and, and so the order of the medical bills and how we get them. Um, you know, I, so there's all kinds of things we want to look at that just, hey, that doesn't sound right. That's not right. You know, and, and looking at the data, we aggregate all the data together. Uh, all of our data goes into this tool that we have um, and it's, it's, re, it's populated uh, once a week. Uh, so we're only about a week behind with, you know, with looking at fresh data. Um, so on Sundays, they populated, our IT department populates the tool with all the new data. And it's, uh, and it just continues. So it's something that we look at is, um, we, have, we have certain red flags we look at when we think there's a kickback for service, you know, to other service providers. 
Um, and we look at, you know, uh, red flags for that, you know, what would be uh, an indicator to lit, driving over 70, 75 miles from your, your uh, house to, uh, to get a medical procedure. That would, that would be an indicator of a kickback for medical services there. That's a, you know, they're getting a kickback for someone and that person's not even billing what they should, you know, they're not even going there. So let me ask you, and those type of examples, that's provider fraud. In most workers' compensation claims that we handle, the provider will directly bill the insurance company. There's a good chance the business isn't seeing the bill, the claimant isn't seeing the bill, and the agent certainly is definitely not seeing the bill. And so it's kind of one of those things that we can't catch it. The claimant can't catch it. The business can't catch it. That's on the insurance company because you've got a bad provider doing you know, fraudulent billing at that point. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. And, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, if you, if you're an employer and, uh, or an agent and you're working, you know, you have clients that you're, you're concerned about, um, providers, you know, in your area, um, you know, the, the one thing that we, the Intel we have is, is we, we kind of know, we don't know all the bad providers, but we know, we know a few of them <laughs> and we know, you know, their name comes up and go, Oh, wait a minute. You know, we, we know, you know, where they're going with this. Okay. Um, and that's so something we, we, uh, um, you know, those are, those are things and information that we get. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, we work with organizations like the national insurance crime bureau who has a medical fraud unit that, you know, we get information from, you know, uh, what may be going on, you know, so we can get it before, um, arrests are made. We kind of know some schemes, what might be going on there. There's other, uh, places we get that information and it, and it's, it's, uh, it's helpful. So, you know, we, we kind of, uh, now the claim person handling the claim may not know that. Okay. So we have them check in with our special investigative unit at our company and, and ask us, and we try to have a, you know, we do training for them on insurance fraud. Um, um, usually, uh, you know, semi-annually, and so we're actually, you know, we're always bringing up the fact that we have an open line of communication so they can uh, refer these type of situations to us. And we can, uh, you know, even, even if it's not a formal referral, they can call in. Uh, we have a 1-800 number that we use uh, for insurance fraud. Um, and th- these are things that we encourage our policyholders, our, you know, agents, our, pol- you know, uh, everyone to call, to, you know, keep us in the loop on what you expect. Uh, you may be onto something and not realize it. So that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. And, um, so how would, a, how would a claimant know? I mean, if there were, if there were red flags at the claimant's service level, right. what would they be looking for to maybe identify what provider fraud may be occurring on their claim? Oh, I see. So, um, is there anything that they would know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're going, if you're, if you're, a if you're filing a claim, I mentioned earlier, one of the oldest things that's been done for years is having, have, any, anytime an employee or an insurance worker is signing a sign-in sheet and they're signing their name multiple times on a sign-in sheet, okay. a huge red flag. I mean, that means <laughs> they're going to go whether that person's there or not. That should never occur. You sign in one time when you go see a doctor, you don't sign in, you know, on a sign-in sheet, you know, 10 times. I mean, that, that type of thing. Or, uh, um, you know, just any kind of major procedure, MRIs are usually pretty expensive. Uh, and if you have an MRI done, you, if you're, if you're an insurance worker, you would know you had an MRI done Yep. Uh, or you would know you had a CT scan done. 
you would know those type of things because it's it's a very unusual procedure. Um, and so just keeping in the loop and keeping in touch with the uh, injured worker, um, you know, it's okay to, as an employer, it's okay to talk to the injured worker um, and communicate with them about, you know, you know, and if they want to share information with you, encourage them to share information with you. So, I mean, it's not a problematic thing. Um, now, if they have an attorney and they're represented, um, you know, there's some, there's some rules you got to follow there. They're a little different, but uh, if they're not represented, you know, you can talk to them about whatever, you know, you want, you want them to come back to work. Um, and uh, a lot of people think, uh, <laughs> get a little off there, but a lot of people, workers' compensation is not one of those things covered under HIPAA. Uh, HIPAA is always brought up, you know, health insurance. Oh, you can't talk to them because that's, you know, there's medical privacy under HIPAA. Workers' compensation is not, uh, it is excluded from HIPAA. Yep. So medical bill and workers' compensation is totally excluded from HIPAA. Even as an employer, you don't have to worry about that. You know, if you're, if you're worried about violating a HIPAA regulation um, regarding their treatment, you can ask about their treatment. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't violate any of that stuff. So just be aware of that. I think that's a good point. I think a lot of businesses, people don't forget that or they don't realize that they can ask those things and they, hey, how's your claimant doing? What's going on? Well, I can't ask that. It's HIPAA. No, it's not. Nothing. There's so many hands in that pot when it comes to a workers' compensation claim, HR, claimant, manager, uh, you know, supervisor. HIPAA's off the table. Right, right. And so that's a, that's a big area for, uh, you know, to look at. It's okay. To, and I think, you know, um, if you have a, if, you know, if you have a, a truly injured worker as an employer, you know, you want to, you want to know how they're doing, you know, it's okay to call them and, you know, they're, if they're home, they're collecting benefits. It's okay to call them and see how they're doing, you know, check up on them, find out, you know, or, you know, is the doctor told you when you might be back to work or, you know, that type of thing. And, and, uh, and if you can provide modified work for that individual, I would do that. You know, if I, if I was an employer, I have them, uh, if I could do it, I would have them, you know, counting cars in the parking lot just to be at work, you know, and, and stay, stay away from uh, uh, all these ads that play during the day, you know, for, for attorneys and waiting hundred numbers call this injured hotline, that kind of thing. So, I mean, because once they get into that system, um, you know, it, you get into those bad players that we've been talking about. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot on this podcast about changing the human experience of the workers' compensation claim. And I, I, you know, to, to go back to your numbers here, let's say nine out of every 10 claims are not fraudulent. They're an honest to goodness accident. The employee didn't ask to get injured. Um, and if it's a lengthy claim where they're not actively at work, um, people are meant to work. We're meant to be social. We don't want to be, you know, isolated all alone. And so we have encouraged businesses reach out to your injured worker. If they were a good employee the day before the claim, they're still a good employee the day after the claim. Exactly work, giving them, give them meaningful work. And maybe I've, have, I've always advocated for um, just even somebody within your company to be like the claim navigator, like help that injured worker and be a voice for them. Because a lot of people get scared when they have that worker's compensation claim. Maybe right. they're not actively at work. Maybe they've got some reduced finances at home. Um, maybe that they're injured, that they can't do the things that they used to do. And it just becomes a stressful time. Oh yeah, and I think the uh, the area that, that that's huge. That's a huge area that an employer should really think about. You know, in, in uh, you know, doing the right thing in regard to their an injured worker. Um, it's good for you to be involved in that process and, and 
let them know that you do care about them and you know that you're you're there and you know and you can ask them their progress how they're doing um you know now if there's fraud involved if it's that one percent uh, or that 10 in that 10 percent category one out of one out of nine that is fraudulent you know you may find out information you know you might hear noise on the phone when you're talking to them you know that they're not really at home <laughs> they're working somewhere you're doing something you know and or they're out being you know they're out at the beach or whatever um that those are things that we look at as well. So it's, it's uh, that communication is very important. You know, um, we're about running out of time here, and I have so many questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, so, oh my gosh, so many things. Uh, real quick, can you tell us about one of the biggest fraud cases you uncovered? Um, we we had a case um, where we had a chiropractor, um, and I mentioned the situation earlier, but. We had a chiropractor that was uh, uh, had the same regimen. He would bill. Uh, he would he would bill for services, uh, and then he would send everybody to the same uh, shockwave treatment, um, and then he would get a kickback for that. And then he would send everybody to the to uh, would be represented. Everybody that went to him was happened to be represented almost by the same attorney uh, who was getting kickback for them sending him to that attorney, which is illegal. And then we had the same individual uh, sending them out for an MRI. MRIs were about $3,200 from this facility for each MRI. Um, and um, and that, there was kickback going on there. Um, this was huge in regard to the industry. We, we, we believe ultimately the chiropractor, the attorney, uh, people that own the, the shockwave treatment center, the MRI facility, they were all indicted and arrested uh, and charged uh, by uh, federally and and by a state uh, district attorney's office, uh, we were very actively involved in that particular case. But we, we're looking at uh, a fraud um, was just out of that whole situation was over. I think it was three hundred fifty million dollars. Um, in workers' comp fraud. Well, in workers' comp fraud, and that was in this this one state in California. Uh, three hundred fifty million dollars of, of billing, fraudulent billing that went out the door. I mean, and every piece of the, I mean, if you talk about, you know, billing for uh, services never being rendered and just sending a bill out that occurred with all of these, um, uh, you know, they, there might've been one treatment out of 10 <laughs> that was actually, uh, you know, a true treatment and, and had a bill with, that was legitimate, but most of it was fraudulent. And, uh, but they were indicted. Uh, they, uh, uh, they got some prison time and there's a couple are still serving prison time. And so it was a very successful case. Uh, we actually are, uh, um, we, we were able to stop payment. Um, we got some checks back, um, and, uh, we're able to credit claims with, uh, restitution, criminal restitution checks. Um, and that's a successful part of this because now we can go back and, uh, eliminate that exposure from the employer's history, you know, by reducing that claim exposure. So uh, that was helpful as well, but um, yeah, that, that I, I uh, we've had several successful cases, but that's uh, that's one of the bigger ones that uh, we were involved in um, that came out of Southern California. That's a great story, and I think if one of the things that I'm going to take away from that is um, I'm probably more granular when it comes to actually meeting with businesses and clients, and there are so many times that they will say, hey, this claim is fraudulent. We need to get a special investigation team on there. Well, the claim estimated cost is probably five or $10,000. Yeah. 
It, right. And the message that I probably I want to take away and share here is that's not going to happen. It's not realistic. Right. I understand that there may be some fraud there. If, if the claim is that little, right. we're not going to put any money into it because you're focusing on things that are $350 million. Right, right. And, and, and it's at the same time, it's, it's, uh, it's not a wise use of your time on those claims Mm-mm. because um, you can't resolve those claims you know, at a very minimal amount in uh, the exposure goes away. It, it, you know, you could you could actually spend more money investigating those claims than you would paying the entire claim out. So it, it, there's a there's a balance there of, of you know what are you going to do? You know, and so you got to look at you know what is the right thing to do, and uh, ultimately, you know, what how can we you know save money for the employer through this process? So see something, say something. I like it. What uh, anything else you want to talk about today here? Before we, uh, any tips or advice or? You know, I, I think uh, for an agent, employer, um, you know, my, 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 my tips are, um, and I, I'm going to give you our top 10 that we put out there real quick. Okay. Um, one is Monday morning reports of injuries, okay? I, we talked about that uh, during this presentation. If you, you know, have a Monday morning accident and it's unwitnessed, okay? Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a big trigger right there. Uh, if there's an employment change and all of a sudden there's a retaliation claim or something changes at the employer, there's a, there's a, a grumbling that he doesn't like his boss or something going on that way. Uh, and there's, there, there's a, there's a claim filed. Be cautious of those kind of things. Uh, we talked about suspicious providers. Um, you know, if you get into that circle of, of, and you get feedback that there's a, there's a provider that's doing some weird stuff, um, be aware of it, or they're really far from their house. Uh, there's no witnesses to an accident. That, that's always a trigger. Uh, you know, you don't have to have a witness. Uh, an accident doesn't have to be witnessed, and it won't, you know, to be accepted. But at the same time, if there's no witnesses, in, and it's an area where there should be witnesses, that, that's a huge, uh, you know, something you want to look at. Um, but one of the things I also recommend is that you put, you know, if you can put cameras um, in your workplace, put cameras in your workplace, put as many as you can. <laughs> I mean, you can get cameras, they're so cheap now, it's so worth it. Um, you know, um, that, that's one of the best things you can do is have video evidence to prove that an accident did occur or did not occur. Okay, and you wanna know, did it occur, did it not occur? And so put cameras in. If there's conflicting descriptions of how the injury occurred, okay, and, and typically you see this where the uh, on the claim form, um, the, the employee submits a claim form saying how he's injured. And that doesn't go well with what the employer, what he tells you as the employer or the agent, if you're involved in this, you know, uh, they tell you something different or they tell the doctor a complete different story, you know, and you're looking at these, like what's going on with that. Um, if they have a history of filing claims, um, that usually is a trigger. They know the system, they know how to navigate they know how to get money from the system and uh, they have knowledge. Uh, that's something you want to look at. Um, I, you always want to look at situations where treatment, you know, they, they claim they have an injury, but then they're refusing treatment. That could be an indicator that, you know, they're trying to hide something from you. They had another injury, another, maybe they had a prior knee injury and they, they, they're claiming a knee injury. They don't want you to know about that prior injury. So they're actually refusing treatment because they don't want you to know they got old scar tissue in there, you know, and when you're doing some of the, 
evaluations of that. Um, and it's going to come out. It's always going to come out. But yeah, it's going to come out, but you, you'll see some weird stuff when it comes to an injured worker if they're trying to pull a game on you. Uh, any late reporting of a claim, obviously, if they if they don't report it, uh, you know, they, they wait 60 days to report that they were injured or 30 days. I mean, that, that's those are <laughs> red flags. Um, anytime you're, you're dealing with somebody that's supposed to be injured, your claimant, uh, supposed to be injured, injured worker, and you can never get a hold of them on the phone. Okay. So you're calling to check up on them, see how they're doing when they might be coming back, but you can never reach them. That's kind of a red flag. What are they doing? They're supposed to be at home recuperating, right? I mean, you think their phone would be right next to them, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, and then any changes, uh, in the, in their, when, when you start seeing a, a, uh, injured worker, they, they change the treating position. They go from one treating position. Now they get a different treating position um, or they get a different doctor. You know, they, they want it. They're not happy. Maybe that doctor is going to send them back to work. And now all of a sudden they, they get a different doctor. Those are red flags to look at from an employer standpoint. I think, uh, you know, and, and not every red flag by itself might not be enough, but it may be a, you know, a couple of those things, uh, you know, two or more of those type of red flags. Um, you know, you need to reach out, talk to your, you know, talk to your insurance company, talk to your SIU department for that insurance company, the fraud unit, and, uh, you know, let them know that you have concerns about that particular claim. Got it. And you, now that was a document that you actually wrote and published somewhere, I think I saw. Is that? I, I think we, uh, we have that in our, uh, one of the things we give out, we, we, in, yeah, it's in our, it's in, we have a, I have a lot of red flags, but those are key 10 red flags that we, I think, uh, 10 warnings that we use. Uh, and we have published some uh, that document, but um, and we we fleshed that out of all the different things of what you should look Great. for as a lawyer. I will um, for the listeners. We'll post a link to that in the uh, the show notes, so you can easily find that if that's something that you want to focus on at your company. All right. All righty. Well, hey, uh, Sam. Before we leave, I got I do have a couple questions for you that we ask every uh, everyone who's on the show. Um, what are you reading right now? What am I reading? Yep. I am reading uh, actually a book. Uh, it's called uh, Steal My Soldier's Heart. And it's uh, uh, my brother was in uh, Vietnam, my oldest brother. And it's a book about his actual infantry. And it's about how they were the worst unit in Vietnam that became the, the best unit uh, under the command of uh, uh, one of the colonels that was uh, that wrote the book. And, and so uh, I'm reading that right now. That's my... Uh, that's on my desk and that's what I'm going through. We're going to put that in the show notes too. Is that a new, is that a new release? You know, it's, it's an old release, but it's, uh, there it is. Awesome. Thank you. Backwards, steal my soldier's heart. And that's your first time reading it. It is. Uh, my brother had told me that, uh, his old Colonel had written a book and I never knew which book it was. And then I finally did some research and found it. And I'm like, it's pretty, pretty good graphic and it's pretty amazing too. Uh, of things that occurred. So I will, I will add that to the list. I ask everybody what they're reading and I'm just, I'm always amazed at, you know, where things hit home and what little information I can take away and add to my own life. Um, so that's cool. Uh, COVID right now, what are you spending more money on than you should? Uh, you know, for me, it's, 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 uh, Uber eats, Grubhub, uh, all the, all the, all the foodies, you know, I'm, yeah, I, and what, what, what's interesting for me is I think I'm just getting lazy because I can get in my car and go through a drive through, go, go do all that kind of thing. And, 
we're starting to open up in California more now. And uh, we were shut down for a long time, but uh, yeah, I, I, I find myself to be lazy. It's so easy to have somebody bring food right to your door, you know? So uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I totally get it. I totally get it. And then we're going to end the podcast today with whatever message you would like to leave with our listeners, whether it's work comp or personal or whatever it is. Oh, I think, uh, I think one of the areas I brought up earlier, and I think you need to think about as an employer is really look at who your supervisors are, your managers, make sure they're treating their, their, your employees. Well, um, you could have a, uh, you get a problem at your employment and not even know about it until all of a sudden you have three or four claims and, and it happened to all work for the same manager or supervisor. Um, and if you're a supervisor or manager, think about that, be a, be a good manager and, and treat your employees well, do the right thing. Uh, don't be the jerk that, uh, people talk about. So, I mean, it's, it's that's something to consider, because uh, people don't leave the employer. Typically they leave their direct supervisor. Thank you so much, Sam. Appreciate all your help, all your advice and all your wisdom today for businesses out there. Have a great one. You too. Talk to you soon.